Hello everyone, welcome to Reason for Hope once again, we're very glad that you're joining us. Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast which is guided and directed by your questions on the Bible. That's right, you can send in your questions on the Bible and we will delve into the Bible itself to find the answers to those. So maybe there's a question you have on a verse or passage of scripture, maybe even something you're going through in your life or have been through with like a biblical scriptural perspective, maybe things going on in the world, maybe even other religions or Christianity itself, really any honest question you have on the Bible, or as long as you know that we're gonna use the Bible to find the answers, that's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. We're very glad that you're joining us today. Do send those questions in early on the uh, multiple platforms, which I'll be running through in just a moment. My name's Dave Robson, I'm your host today, and we'll be uh, keeping my eye online and fielding all those questions as they come on in. Also with us today, as is often the case, Pastor Sean Richards. Thanks for being here. How are you doing today? Keep me in prayer, getting the last of this bug out of my system. Yeah, you've been a little bit, a little bit poorly, huh? But you're looking good, actually. Looking good, good color, in good form. So we're glad you're here. Yes. And you, and continuing the red theme over here, we have Pastor Bo Bullett <laughs> right. today as well. That's pastor right. Bo is uh, the uh, assistant pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, yeah. also the founder of Running Light Ministries, mm -hmm. which is a ministry dedicated to sex and sexuality and um, sensuality and all those kind of uh, things. See, yeah, seeing things from a biblical perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe you have questions on on that today, maybe uh, while Bo is here with us. But how you doing, Bo? You doing good? Yeah, doing awesome. Yeah. yeah, hockey season's kind of finishing up, so I'm kind of <laughs> representing here with my my Coyotes jersey. That's right. And You're chaplain, right? Chaplain for the... Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Do some work with the, with the uh, hockey out here in Arizona in the desert. That's very cool. But I did want to give a shout out to my golfing buddy, Mike, out there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's always listening to A Reason for Hope. He's a real good friend I know of Pastor Scott, myself, and just a neat guy. So I said, man, I got to give a shout out to Mike. So, hey, Mike, what's happening? Very good. Well, hopefully we'll see him on the show today. And he may even have a question for us. So, yes. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for being here and making the time to um, jump into the Bible and answer these questions. As I mentioned, a reason for hope. It's a live hour long broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here, Mountain Standard Time in Tucson, Arizona. That's where this uh, broadcast is originating from. Uh, it's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, so keep that in mind as you're trying to find us, and um, you will uh, you will be able to find us a lot easier on the different platforms. But you can go to calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's our church website right there. And uh, don't be a stranger while you're there. Just have a click around. We have so many different uh, Bible studies and events and, of course, services here <clears throat> on Sundays and Wednesday evenings. So if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area and you're looking for somewhere to fellowship, then uh, keep us in mind. We'd love to have you come visit We're right near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway, calvarychristianfellowship.com. But if you go to um, that Watch Live tab right there, that will take you to our live page. Whenever we're live, that's where we stream to. You'll see a schedule of upcoming events and a countdown to our next live event as well. But if we're online at the time, if we're live, then you will see the video. You can sign in with a username of your choice and send your question in on the chat function right there. And once again, I will be watching for those questions as they come on in. The direct link is ccftucson.online.church. That takes you right to our live page. We're on Facebook, of course, facebook.com slash ccftucson, or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You'll find us live there as well. And of course, you can send your question in on the chat function, the chat box right there as well. Don't forget to like and share and all that good stuff. We'd appreciate you helping us get the word out about this uh, ministry if you've been blessed by it. 
We have a mobile app as well. If you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store, you can download our app on your mobile device. And we have a channel on Roku, and we have a channel on Apple TV as well. So add us to your channels if you have one of those devices or a smart TV with that capability. Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Um, you can watch us there as well. On YouTube, the channel is called A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope on YouTube. That's a great place to go if you want to catch up on the archive. Whenever we're live, it will automatically archive there under that live tab. So uh, if you would like to check out services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship or you missed the show or just want to recap, YouTube is a great place to go. A Reason for Hope and that live tab. And of course, we'll be literally live there um, as we speak. Don't forget to like and subscribe. You can even copy links and share it around and click that bell. That means you get notified when we're live. You get a little ding ding, a little reminder, and you can uh, join us that way. Uh, our pastor, uh, Scott, our senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, not with us today, but uh, he is on Twitter. Scott R4H is his handle, Scott R4H, and he posts highlights from the show. He posts kind of commentary on world events and things going on in the world from a biblical and scriptural and kind of end times perspective. So it's really informative to follow along with him on uh, Twitter. So much going on in the world as it pertains to end times and prophecy. And he is just a great person that uh, just keeps up to date with all that and shares that with us, which I'm personally very grateful for. I get a lot of my news from <laughs> from him. So Pastor Scott, Scott R H on Twitter, if you're a Twittery kind of person. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. We're on rumble now. This is a uh, newer to us. <laughs> you worked on that, didn't I you? I did work. I did all that was day. awesome, man. All day and some of yesterday. Um, yeah, so we're on rumble. If you are, look for us. A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. We've been getting some good traffic on there. So if you're uh, using rumble or transferring to there, you can look for us. A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A on rumble. And last but not least, questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. Questions for hope spelled out with letters at gmail.com. That is our email address. On the radio, you are actually listening to the last show we did pre-recorded. So we're not live per se with you on the radio, but use that email address and we'll get to your question on our next show and consider joining us on one of those live uh, platforms when you can, when you're not in your car driving and when it's safe to do so. Pastor Bo is uh, frantically turning pages over here on his hey. Bible, and that means we must be ready to <laughs> to some questions. But would you like to <laughs> would you like to pray for us, Bo, while you? While well, I'm frantically well, frantically turning, turning pages. pages. Okay, <laughs> yeah, let's pray. <laughs> yeah, Father, we thank you so much for our time together, and it, it, what a joy it is to open up your scriptures and flip through the pages and. So many wonderful things to go over and to think about and ponder. We just pray that you would use us uh, for your glory uh, this evening and uh, that you would receive all the glory uh, for the work that you do um, and that how, you, how your word goes out. Mm -hmm. uh, use us powerfully, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen indeed. Well, while we await uh, questions coming on in. And again, do send them in um, through those various platforms, however you are joining us tonight. Get them in early, because sometimes we do run out of time, so we'd love to get to all your questions. But we had a question left over from yesterday. Craig, hopefully you're joining us again, but his question was on the Ark of the Covenant. He asked, uh, when was it made touchable by others? Because for a period of time, it wasn't a touchable thing, but I think it became touchable, or you could touch it, or there were different consequences for touching the Ark of the Covenant. What's the whole deal on that? Yeah, and it wasn't just the Ark of the Covenant, by the way. There were a number of things that if you touched physically without observing the proper 
ritual, if you want to refer to it that way, uh, you would be struck dead. This is in the book of Numbers, chapter 4, uh, referring to all of the articles of the temple. That's the table of showbread that would be in the most holy place, the menorah, the lampstand, yep. and then the Ark of the Covenant itself. And we can talk about the significance of those things if you prefer. But in verse 15 of Numbers chapter 4, a specific family from the lineage of Aaron and Moses by extension were permitted to carry these things, and it says, but they shall not touch any holy thing, not that specific holy thing, but any holy thing, lest they die. Now, the book of Numbers is in the first five books of Moses, and the directed revelation of God to Israel. Now, we do know that the nations around Israel were aware of who the true and living God was. We see in Joshua, for instance, that Rahab, a citizen of Canaan, a pagan all her life, was not only aware of what Israel had done in the time of the wilderness, but also in Egypt, and even knew the covenant name of their God. So they obviously weren't keeping these things to themselves. But as far as the more specific details, we see examples of people touching the Ark of the Covenant in a way that didn't result automatically in being killed, and that was in the book of 1 Samuel, where the Philistines, uh, chapters 5 and 6, I believe, took the Ark of the Covenant captive as kind of a, you know, one-upsmanship on the people of Israel for a set period of time, and some hilarious things happened. They returned it, and this will be important for the background of the question, by basically making sure that everything they had just gone through wasn't a coincidence, a very bizarre set of coincidences, but nonetheless, they took two female cows, not beasts of burden, just grazing animals that only have one interest, and that's protecting their calves, and told, and just, just basically let them go unled just strapped them to something they weren't used to being strapped mm -hmm. to, to carry the Ark of the Covenant in a cart, and along with all the offerings they made to apologize for their disrespect towards the God of Israel, it went on its own. The cows, despite not being beasts of burden, took the Ark back to Israel, and uh, the priests of God, this is where we see an interesting event take place, uh, wanted to inspect and make sure that the Ark of the Covenant still had all the pieces inside of it. The Philistines didn't loot it for the ancient artifacts of the pot of manna, the staff of Aaron that budded, and the first tablets that were broken during their incident in the wilderness. But in doing so, they were struck dead in the thousands. And some translations note, uh, well, we, we can get into that as well, but when we're talking about the issue, the people of Israel are dealt with on a different basis than the Philistines. Why? Because the Israelites knew better. And that's what brings us to likely the question that's most prominent as far as the Ark of the Covenant is concerned. Why did that guy Uzzah have to bite the barb in Second Samuel when they brought the Ark of the Covenant to the temple in Jerusalem? Well, or not the temple, the tabernacle. Solomon would build the temple later. But when Uzzah went to steady the ark, he was aware of Numbers 4.15. He was aware that this is not the sort of thing that you mess with. But what's also interesting is why did he have to steady it? Why did he even see the need? Because they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, not off the pastures they knew, not Numbers 4.15 style, but Philistine style. They also put it in an ark and they knew better. 
That's why they were held to a higher standard, just like when we were talking about people who are outside of the mm. church and how we're to determine uh, the proper response or approach to their lifestyles. First Corinthians chapter 5, we mention it often. People on the outside need to deal with God. They need the gospel. People on the inside need Jesus. They need to understand who God is. They're held to a much higher standard. So when Israel had consequences and instructions spelled out to them, neglected the instructions, they received the consequences. In the other instances, it's not as if there was an off switch, because we see consistently when Israel disrespected the Ark of the Covenant, see Leviticus with Aaron's two sons, see, of course, in the same incident in 1 Samuel regarding the priests in that city that didn't handle it properly, and then, of course, Uzzah later on. This was the constant because Israel knew better. But if, on the other hand, you look at the Philistines handling the Ark, that's the only other instance of people touching the Ark, in a sense, without mm. sanction. God judged them, but on a different basis, based on what they knew, the revelation that they had. And you'd notice that none of the quote-unquote plagues started as far as the Ark of the Covenant is concerned, until they had been given a pretty not-so-subtle hint <laughs> in the temple of their main god, Dagon, who was just an excuse for bulimia. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> but knocking down its statue uninterrupted multiple times, bowing before the Ark of the Covenant, speaking to the pagans in such a way and saying, Dagon doesn't exist. This is the real god in this room. And then they started receiving the plagues because they started just dismissing it. So understand, God doesn't judge people until they have a standard to be held to. He will judge them according to righteousness ultimately, but when we ask, you know, why doesn't God pour out wrath in the way that we see in the Old Testament? Because we're not given the same level of supernatural revelation they were back then. God will hold them accountable to it, and likewise he will with us. We're given a conclusion to come to as far as the resurrection is concerned, the historical evidence there. Mm. But God's been pretty gracious to us as far as holding us as accountable as we ought to be, given the circumstances that we're in right now. Right. And likewise, it's true. That's why it says, let not many of you, this is in the book of James, I believe, become teachers because you'll incur a stricter judgment. You're held to a higher standard because of what you know. Yeah. And just like Jesus said in his parables, to him who much is given, much shall be required. That's why not at certain times, but with certain people, Israel was judged harsher for mishandling the Ark of the Covenant mm. than other nations who didn't know better. Mm, that makes sense. Makes sense. Great. Anything to add to that, Bob? No, it was, it was great. Yeah, great. Well, thank you, Craig, for that question. Hope you're able to catch that. Thank you for hanging in there with your question. A uh, question from Haley, which came in already early. And once again, please send your questions in, your, your questions on the Bible to whatever platform you're joining us on. And um, we would love to get to answer those today. And uh, questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. I'm checking that as well periodically throughout our show. Uh, but a question from Haley. The dietary laws have been proven scientific, uh, scientifically true, washing after touching a dead carcass. Um, and even the earth being round, etc. Should we still follow these laws based on health and science rather than the law? So basically, were there laws, especially as far as food handling and what we should eat, that we could still follow today based on just health, for health reasons? Or is that is the, the Old Testament law to just be? Yeah, and I would say, sure. Um, like, All right, well, thank you for yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I mean, um, you know, the Bible says, you know, whatever's not done in faith is sin. Um, that, you know, whatever we decide to do 
uh, in our walk with the Lord uh, needs to be based on a faith action. It, it's, it should be something that we're look, you know, we're praying about, we're, you know, communing with God in our prayer life. And if something's on our heart to do, then we should just do it in faith. Yeah. Nothing's wrong with uh, obeying a kosher diet, um, and nothing's wrong with obeying, say, uh, doing this the Shabbat, the mm-hmm. Sabbath, and nothing's wrong with holding fast to a new moon Shabbat, or to a Sabbath or to um, follow the festivals of Israel. That is all something that is absolutely okay to do. It would be a real shame, I think, uh, if people in their churches had the idea that for some reason uh, it wasn't good to uh, follow Jewish festivals Mm -hmm. or kosher laws. And I know some churches that they might you might walk away from and go, oh, you know, like you know, we don't do that, or you right. know, that's not good to do. But it, no, these things are there for a reason, and she's absolutely right. Um, I'm sure uh, if you follow a um, a Hebrew diet, you're probably going to be pretty burly <laughs> and <laughs> pretty strong and healthy. Um, and I would imagine our Lord had uh, a very um, strong body, being a carpenter and living on a kosher diet. Um, And walking for transport. And walking for transport, (laughs) that's right. So, uh, you know, go for it. If, if, you know, you want to do that and it's between you and the Lord, the only problem is if you were to force that as like an obligation um, in your own life or in the life of another believer. Yeah. And and that's when you would go too far. Right. Putting your trip on someone else, basically. Yeah. Yeah, your convictions. Yeah. And Saying, you know, I mean, and, and, through, and, you know, in Christianity, sometimes the church tends to go through these weird kind of bouts where they'll go like, you know, the, you know, Adam and Eve were vegetarians, so, you know, we should be vegetarian. And people will yeah. really get on that kick, and they might read a book about that. Yeah. And, and then someone might say, well, well, no, they started eating meat after the flood. So, you know, we're supposed to eat meat. And then people kind of roll that direction. Um, but, you know, whatever you do, you have to do it under the Lord. Yeah. And in faith under the Lord. And that's the important thing to yeah. do. Right. Absolutely. Anything to add there, Shawnee? Oh, great question, Haley. I hope that helps you out. Thanks for being part of the show and for your question today. Yeah, and by the way, the the passage that I quoted, I didn't tell her where it was at, but it was in the book of Romans. Um, Sean, is it chapter 12, where whatever's not done in faith is sin? It might mm. be the last verse in that chapter. Um, yeah, I, I can look it up, James. though. Um, yeah. And what's the verses on? You talked about, you know, our own convictions and not... Um, you know, considering other people in the, in the week of faith, and what's the what's the that's section? That's Romans. In Romans as well. Yeah, that's also in Romans. So let me let, let's look those Romans up. Romans fourteen. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. a really good principle to live by, obviously, because it's in the Bible. But <laughs> um, when we consider a lot of these things, it's set for dead air. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's all right. No, no that's okay. Nothing's wrong with that. Turning um, out yeah, pages. It's, it's, cha- it's actually the end of chapter 14. In Romans? Uh, of yeah, Romans. 14, yeah. 23. Yeah, 23. Nice. Yeah, whatever is not done in faith 
is sin. Yeah. You know, so if you eat, you know, you, you eat under the Lord. And that's what it says, you know, it's it's about really, you know, your eating is from faith. Right. And so that's what we want to be doing. That's right. Very good. Uh, well, again, thank you, Haley, for that question. Um, question from Sammy. Uh, did the the ark, and this, now we're talking about the uh, Noah's ark, not mm-hmm. the ark of the covenant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Did the ark fit every two of each kind of animal? Um, science would say this is impossible, um, but they believe the flood. Uh, but they don't believe in the ark. How could you explain this? So how can we explain the Yeah, let me, let me, I know this guy's read. I don't know what they mean by science. Yeah, I was going to say that's the first thing that I would just say that might be a little bit of a, you might want to take a step back and just think through this, is when we say science says, um, science isn't... Exclusive. Yeah, there isn't isn't like this. That's a that's a popular belief. You either believe in science (laughs) or you you're a Christian. Right. Like I heard a TikTok the other day of this uh, person who was like, you know, it's either evidence or faith. Right. You know, and and it's just such a. You know what either of those words. Yeah, it's just yeah they don't you know, and um, you know when we're saying, um, you know, science says um, it's science isn't saying anything. It's what people say about things and many different scientists that's right say many different things right say many different things so um we'll clear that up first (laughs) is that uh because there's many scientists who would very much um beg to differ with maybe what we could call pop science (laughs) which nowadays you know popular science uh, what we found out is pop science is really not very scientific anyway (laughs) i think we've learned that over the past three years uh, about pop science but uh sean do you want to take it from there and kind of talk a little bit about maybe um like that idea of um you know was every single creature two of every single creature put on the ark yeah i had this conversation with a pagan friend of mine several occasions and it was about as productive as you'd imagine but the issue that a lot of people have with the ark account is that they assume before anything before even reading the text and the descriptions given in uh, genesis chapter six of or seven excuse me about all the different dimensions the material the deck sizes and everything that was explained to noah as far as what its purpose was what kinds of animals and by the way it wasn't two of every kind of animal it was seven of the clean animals as the jewish reckoning would report it since moses was writing this after the fact and two of every unclean animal now when people start to say well that's weird it once again gets into fantasy land because they're only thinking of cartoonish versions of the ark where mm-hmm. it's like this you know vessel boat with a giraffe you know sticking Head out sticking the out. House and all the other yeah. things hello <laughs> and they also I think I have assume, a blanket at home that has a <laughs> picture of that yes yeah and they also assume that of course this includes the animals of the ancient world like the dinosaurs and with the need to sell toys in Jurassic Park, things are getting bigger and bigger despite (laughs) the actual existence of dinosaurs of that size are about the same number of animals of that size that we have today, referring of course to elephants, giraffes, etc. So when we're thinking of, you know, the uh, Gigantosaurus or the T-Rex or the, uh, you know, even the Velociraptor, the reality is the proportions aren't as 
large as they're made out to be. Secondly, you're assuming that they couldn't have taken animals in adolescence and just had them hibernate for a year, that God wouldn't be capable of doing that. You're reading so much into the text and saying, well, this is impossible, this is impossible, this is impossible, despite none of that being in the text. And I can say, well, here's a possible, here's a possible, here's a possible. If I can, if you can play that game, I can play it too. So what do we actually know about the ark's size, dimensions, function, and of course its carrying capacity, given the information we actually have? Well, scientifically, if we're going off of mathematical measurements, he was told, this is that was Noah, was told to build an ark of such and such a number of cubits. A cubit's measurement was, on average, the outstretched hand from your forefinger all the way to your elbow gave a good estimated size of about 21 inches. Now, it varied, obviously, based on the people doing the measurements. It's like, you know, uh, five of your feet or five of my feet. How big is that uh, table going to be? It was a little bit more straightforward than that, but we're talking about a boat that was larger than the uh, USS Wyoming, uh, just over 500 feet long. And, of course, interestingly enough, when we're talking about the... Uh, depths of this were told specifically in Genesis chapter 7 that there are going to be three levels. So if you divide that up, not just evenly, but functionally, as far as seamanship is concerned, you're going to be able to put two and two together and saying there was accommodations for the larger animals. Uh, we, and this is from an article written by Antis and Genesis for mathematicians and archaeologists that have actually looked over this. They cite, and this is written by Tim Lovett, of course, a South Korean study, not exactly a Christian biased resource there, where they examined the seaworthiness of the Ark. Uh, this was headed up by Dr. Hong, and he concluded, this is Sion Won Hong, as uh, the principal research scientist behind this, in 2005, that according to Chriso and the organizations that sponsored him, um, and he, by the way, just so you understand his credentials, earned a, a BS degree in naval architecture from Sheol University, and is a PhD in applied mechanics, so he knew what he was talking about when examining the Ark. He essentially came to the conclusion, just to summarize all this data, as far as the 4,300-year-old biblical design, no whole shape was specifically mentioned, so he's going to assume that it's going to be functional since it survived, not an unreasonable assessment. And also noting that in order for it to meet these dimensions, it was in the perfect zone of the three things people are looking for when designing a ship. That was stability, strength, and comfort. Obviously, it wasn't a luxury liner like <laughs> right. the uh, St. Mary, or for, uh, for instance, but it was unable to be capsized due to the width. It was able to have a large carrying capacity due to the, its breadth, and of course, it had at least three levels that were equidistant that would keep it from caving in on itself due to the height. It was a fairly built ship, especially given its material being sealed with pitch, tar, literally, and of course being made of gopher wood, which he concluded was an, a reasonable material for buoyancy. Uh, there's other mythological accounts that not uh, support the Ark theory, but definitely show that more than one culture was talking about this event. It shows that mm. there may be an actual historical event here. The right. Epic of Gilgamesh and the Babylonian accounts mention a cube-like Ark, which we know is not going to 
last that long <laughs> and it's going to roll all over the place and stuff. And yeah. that only works in video games. So the idea, of course, is a mythological account doesn't, um, I guess, correct the biblical account, but it does show some historical depth to it. The point being made is this. 1993 Korean studies, modern-day examinations of seaworthiness, and noting the carrying capacity, you're basically looking at the hollowness and the ability to transport, and this is where we'll get into the kinds of animals here in a second, uh, pretty much an entire tank uh, cargo of trains going about... I don't know, maybe 80 cars long, and then mm -hmm. just stacking them all up together into a cube. That's, mm -hmm. again, an estimate. Don't call me out on the math. But when we're asking then, why would every animal be able to fit on even a substantial wooden uh, rectangle like this? And the answer is that it wasn't every form of animal, every species, but all that was needed to repopulate the earth would be what we call every genus, every kind in Hebrew as it's translated. And what's important to note about that is you don't need two chihuahuas, two cocker spaniels, two, uh, what, what's, uh, what's your dog's breed? She's a Gila. A Gila. You would only need a dog. And by a, the way, that's where we get the term genus gender. Yeah. Mm. Which is really important today because <laughs> genders actually from that word genus which is talking about our actual biology mm. so uh in today's world a lot of times when people use gender as a side note they're they're, they're they talk about it as a social cr construct right that's something society puts on you as your gender yeah but that's not what the root word's talking about no. the root word of gender is actually from the word genus which is talking about our biology yeah yeah, so it it would be uh, used uh, interchangeably with sex. Yeah, and of course two of each kind. Yeah, right. And gotcha. of course, we're not dismissing the idea that speciation does occur, diversity within the genus. Right. So when the animals were let off the ark, one of every clean kind of animal, you'd only need one canine with a mate. Yeah. You only need one feline with a mate. You'd only need one insect strain with a yeah. mate. And the point being made was this: when we're asking the question, how many animals were on the ark? Well, how many kinds of animals are there? And people today will get all artistic and say, oh, there's so many. No, kinds, categories, types of animals. And, 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 and to put it simply, we like to use the, 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 the animal, the dog, right. as an example. I know Pastor Scott's talked about it a lot, but um, Answers in Genesis has great articles on this as well. But, you know, dog, the dog is a kind of animal. <laughs> there's many species of dogs, but there's only one, there, there's only one kind. Uh, and they're found, all, all the different uh, um, uniqueness of dogs, like we have chihuahuas, and we have, we have to understand that that's all through interbreeding uh, dogs. Yeah. And that, that, that's not normal. The, the dog that's naturally uh, the kind is the wolf. Mm. And all the other dogs come from that. Mm. Um, so it's not like Noah needed to get the chihuahua. And that's what a lot of times what we think. <laughs> They're hard to catch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, oh, the Pomeranian. I hope that was on the ark. <laughs> you know, no, no. Yeah. Pomeranians were, uh, are a human. Uh, and this is the weird part about human beings, by the way, is humans take animals and we literally breed them yeah. 
to get what we want. Right. Yeah, the Habsburg dynasty at the time of the Renaissance is responsible for, I think, almost half of the dog species we call today. And it was just them. So when you think about it, it's it's Mm -hmm. probably, when you think about dogs, I hate to say this, it's kind of a scary thing to think of, but it really shows the weird, some of the maybe depravity of us as human mm-hmm. beings and what we've done right. to animals. Yeah, just look uh, at the pug. Yeah, because yeah. we've really, we've really <laughs> done some stuff to them, you know. But so hopefully, but that analogy anyway, or, or that example yeah. using the dogs helps us. I think anybody understand that. Oh, I get it. Noah didn't have to bring the pug onto the ark. He didn't have to go get the Pomeranian onto right. the ark, right? And it, it and it says Noah didn't bring any of the animals onto the ark actually Mm. it says god brought the animals to noah yeah which is very cool so god is the one who's selecting yeah the kinds that need to be put on the ark so it was a miraculous event as (laughs) well yeah Yeah. if if you're going to grant the ark happened and it's absurd you're also having to grant a supernatural god to see it through right so if it's like oh the ark could have fallen apart well if you grant the ark happened and it's absurd, don't you think God might have been able to hold it together? Yeah. Oh, that's oh, well, absurd. How do you think? Is there like some dimensional pocket and stuff? I think you're reading a bit into the text. Yeah. And if you're allowed to do that, I'm allowed to do the same. But right. the point being made is that don't let the cartoonish child's, you know, coloring books, representations of the ark fool you. The Bible gives us a pretty interesting picture and the experts that are actually versed in these kinds of studies and examining it said they actually knew what they were doing when they Mm. built this kind of thing. Now, as far as all the details go, when we're asked questions, and this is the other issue, uh, how did Cain get his wife? How could the human race or all these other hyper-carnivorous animals that we observe today, key point, live just off of vegetables until after the fall? And the tricky part is we can't medically examine how a that close to Adam and Eve, a pre-flood ecosystem worked. We can't examine how a pre-flood human body looked. Mm. Our genomes have been mutated beyond oblivion to what they are today, same for the animals, but we can't say because it's how this worked 6,000 years later, it's how it worked back then as well. That may be true for the speed of light, but it's not true of biology or technology. So be careful of assumptions, be aware of assumptions, and, of course, be aware of worldviews. And I think you won't see this as absurd as it's made out to be. Yeah, and even the speed of light, I mean, even that is somewhat of an assumption of, you know, if it stays as a constant, you know, mm-hmm. pre-flood or, you know, all that. I mean, we... It's, if we gravity affects it. Yeah, if, we know, don't know. mass affects yeah. it. I mean, yeah. we just don't know those things. All we do know is if we look to the Word, who Jesus, Jesus believed uh, in the first five books of the Bible. The, the writings of Moses as being literal history. Right, right. And so our authority uh, to believing Noah uh, and the narrative of the ark isn't based on what we think about it. Yeah. It's based on what science says about it, quote, yeah. what si- whatever that means, but it's based on what Jesus said about it. Right. And you not know. just fables that were made up and passed down. That's right. God himself referred to them and quoted them. That's yeah. right. right. So, you know, yeah, that's right. So that's that's the ultimate authority yeah. on, um, and I, you have to come to a, a decision in your life of whether you're going to believe in the current science, pop science, yeah. you know, or if you're going to believe in Jesus and what he said. 
And it ultimately comes down to that at some point. You know, when you sit in a classroom in your university, it's either you're going to trust that professor or you're going to trust Jesus. Yeah. And sometimes that's just where, you know, where we're kind of where it's going to lie. Right. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. So, so not every animal in the ark, but every kind. Yeah. And then not evolution, but adaptation. Yeah. That's a that. good adaptation. way to say it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Absolutely. And, you know, Christians do not, um, uh, we don't uh, poo poo that idea of uh, adaptation at all. Yeah. And uh, when we look at uh, the uh, Darwin's finches, uh, we totally agree that there's adaptation going on. Yeah. With their, what we don't see in the finches on the Galapagos Island is uh, what we ca- would call m- uh, macro evolution, right. which is species to species yeah. transformation. Transition. Yeah, right. transition. One kind becoming a different kind. Right. As opposed yeah. to lots of diversity within one kind based on structured environments. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Right. Makes sense. Great. Yeah. Well, you both mentioned um, answersingenesis.org. Yeah, I shared the link to the ARC project as well on our social media Oh, sites. okay, very good. That's so cool, though, that you're bringing up the actual thank you. Um, stuff right there. You know, I'm, I'm, I can do wonderful things over here, <laughs> Bo. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and um, for those listening on a later date, the article is titled Thinking Outside the Box. It was written on January 12, 2016 by Tim Lovett from Answers in Genesis, and uh, the issue is also published Oh, excuse me, uh, March 19th, 2007. It was featured January 12th, 2016 in Answers Magazine. So March 19th, 2007 by Tim Lovett. And by the way, no uh, examinations or editings to the article since then. It's still solid. Oh, okay. And that's on Answers in Genesis? Mm-hmm. Thinking great. Outside the Box. Excellent. Yeah, great website. That's a you know, place where science and Christianity come together, so to speak. You know, this, uh, they're responsible for um, uh, the Creation Museum, and the arcing arcing counter and those things as well so a great website to check out for more of what we've been talking about um sammy thank you great question appreciate that yes uh, awesome question. yeah it is a uh, question from vintage is their name uh, was there anything significant about the day after the resurrection what is significant about monday the day after easter so easter monday is there anything anything <laughs> significant about that was it's it all old news the moon the, day the moon day monday Right. (laughs) That's it. Significant. Yeah. Easter Um, Monday. Is the question, is the question, is it, is it, is that day like designated as a significant day, like by church history? Yeah. Like Good Friday, obviously we know what we celebrate. um, Then Easter Sunday, we know what we celebrate. But Easter Monday, is there something significant about that day, you know, that we should remember or celebrate or that kind of thing? I think that's the question. Nope. You know, and, and I don't know, uh, you know, I mean, he might want to, uh, our vintage, right? That's the person vintage. Yeah, vintage. Yeah, yeah so vintage. You might want to go online and maybe you can m- maybe look up either the Roman Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church and uh, of their schedule of religious days, their calendar of religious days. And you might find something on that day. Um, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if there's something that's observed uh, right. by those two very old um, traditions, if you will. Yeah. Um, but uh, a- as far as I know, biblically speaking, I can't think of anything on yeah. Monday. I'm sure it's a crazy day, the day after Jesus. <laughs> 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 I'm sure the whole week was pretty wild. 
but uh, but I think that is the question is there something observed on that day I know on my calendar it said it says Easter Monday so um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything significant in the book of Acts on a Monday specific but you know you don't you don't see um, days being reckoned like how we reckon them either the Julian and Gregorian calendars were still being written yeah Yeah. so you don't you're not going to see a a Monday in the book of Acts yeah right the first day of the week yeah okay so the first day day of the week is our what Sunday Sunday right right so we know that they met the first day of the week because it says it you know but it doesn't say like the second day of the week then the second day of the week Um, you know, this happened or something. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, the things yeah. that would be worth remembering, obviously, for the next 40 days, Jesus, and that was on purpose, by the way, uh, met and appeared with his disciples in order to verify his resurrection in groups and as a whole. Mm-hmm. The Sunday was the most hectic day because that's when Jesus appeared to the women, but there was a undetermined period of time, at least enough for Simon Peter to become despondent, get over seeing the empty tomb and go back fishing. Uh, the earliest report verify that the Lord has appeared to Simon and that's recorded for us in John 21 and there's also interesting uh, Simon was Peter's birth name and then of course there were appearances to Thomas but that was weeks after that event not hours and then of course 40 days had passed until the next Jewish festival was on the horizon that being Pentecost and that was intentional for Jesus part as well very good well Vintage let us know if you find out anything else beyond that but a uh, great question. Uh, question here from big fan of Toby Mac, which is his given name. No, uh, I'm sure it isn't. But um, with everything going on, Elon Musk wants a space city by 2050. And there is a juice juice project out there to explore the moons of Jupiter, particularly at Euro- uh, Europa. What are your thoughts on this? How far will we go before Jesus comes back? If we are to colonize other planets, does that rule uh, the Bible? Uh, does that rule the Bible out as being true? So as well, and you know, there's the, the big follow-up is if we're around for another two thousand years, does that mean the Bible is wrong? Right. And there's three ways that we can go about this. First of all, Jesus hasn't come back yet, and even though he didn't give a specific time for his return, since it's longer than I would like, I'm going to consider it a failed prophecy. I'm going to. You know, my date said he wouldn't be here at a specific time. I'm going to say he should have been here at a specific time, take my toys and go home. That's not how this works. If the Bible is true, then it's going to be true 2,000 minutes ago, 2,000 years from now, just like it was still true 2,000 years ago and is still true 2,000 years from that point today. And 4,000 years before that, on and on and on it goes. Truth isn't determined by a clock. Clocks can sometimes allow for more information to be revealed, but information doesn't redefine truth. It clarifies whether something's a lie or not. Now, if we're going to say, well, look at all these scientific pursuits and stuff, plans aren't achievements. Let me just put that out there. But if people are going to, you know, say, well, the Bible's wrong because it says, and then fill in the blank, Actually, look it up first, because when people ask, you know, the Bible says there's no such thing as terraforming, the the earth was made to be inhabited, and so I'm going to interpret that to mean that there's uh, no possibility of us existing on another planet, and the moon landing proved the Bible's wrong. Okay, have fun with that. But the point being made is this. 
when we argue by the clock, as C.S. Lewis put it, and say, you know, in this day and age, we've gotten to a place where we know the Bible has been changed. No, if we got to this place today and discovered that the Bible was altered, the information in it before this time is different than the information we received firsthand from it at the time that it was being written, that's not determined by time, that's determined by evidence. And if you can put up or shut up, that's the key difference in all of this. So don't say, well, time passes, time changes things. So could time change the Bible? No, time doesn't change anything. We rot, <laughs> we age, we, you know, get used to new and certain things at the time. We look at the world 2,000 years ago and see it's a quote-unquote very different world, but people still had the same problems, people still had a sin issue, and Jesus still rose from the dead. But we go 2,000 years later, what has really changed? People still have sin problems. <laughs> people. Yeah, and, th- and, th- and this is a, this is a, a normal um, kind of uh, almost like a, um, it's, I don't know if you want to call it a fallacy of today's world, but a lot of times we think we're much different than the ancient world. Yeah. Um, but we, with all of our technology, but uh, as Pascal once said, Blaise Pascal, the mathematician, you know, what have we really done? You know, nothing. You know, have you been able to change really the real things, the real deal things? No. We still, like you say, we still get sick. We still die. Everybody, one out of one people die. Doesn't matter where you are. Every star dies. Every piece of grass dies. Yep. Every everything dies. Nothing changes. Uh, the laws, uh, the natural laws, are still intact. Uh, nothing has been altered at all. Um, so it's a real fallacy when people, uh, you know, we think too highly of our achievements. Right. And this is a common thread throughout the Bible that human beings tend to think very highly of themselves yeah. um, to this point of going like, wow, we've really accomplished something. Yeah, and um, that it's better than ever. Right, and yeah. the, o- the only person who's accomplished anything is the deity, mm. is God. He created out of nothing, and he rose from the dead. Yeah. Those are two seriously <laughs> radical things that take place that have gone against anything we know anyway naturally natural laws yeah. you know um so you know you know there's you know it, it certainly would not disprove the bible if we would explore other planets or go to the moon or anything like that yeah. nothing yeah nothing would disprove the what would disprove the bible is what the bible says would disprove the bible and what the, bio, what the Bible says about itself is that uh, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then it's all a sham. Right. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right. So yeah. that, that's what really the issue is, yeah. is did Jesus rise from the dead or not? You know, whether we go to the moon or to Jupiter's moons or create a really cool thing, you know, is not going to be uh, really much of a difference. Right. And yeah. am I right? It's not going to change the Bible. Right. Yeah. And God, I mean, in the past, the Tower of uh, uh, Babel or Babel, we pronounce it Babel in England. But, yeah. Um, part of God scattering the people was that he said, like, look what these people can achieve when they <laughs> come together <laughs> like this, right? So, yeah. Um, and they're going to destroy themselves in the yes. process. Yeah. So, I guess my point is, God 
you know, God's not going to allow mankind to go beyond what he what he desires for us to do, even though we have all this uh, technology and all these advancements. Yeah. God's not going to be like, oh my goodness, they're going to Jupiter. What am I going to do? You know, I mean, He's yeah. going to have His way. You plans know? are just plans. Plans are just plans. Yeah, it's really weird. Like technology, just it, to me, it's like, like I said, it's a it, we 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 boast too highly in it. What have we really been able to do? Right. Go on a device and talk to someone. I could just go out of my house and go to my neighbor and talk to someone. Yeah, in I'm, more meaningful ways. <laughs> yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. Is it better? Yeah. It's like, what have we really done? Yeah, and the food we eat now is—is yeah. like, is it really food still? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know, like, what am I eating? <laughs> right. You're right. not hungry afterwards, but you're hardly nourished. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, I'm not quite convinced. <laughs> yes. Very good. Well, sorry. I realized I was. Uh, well, Sean told me that I was. I was on him and Bo was talking. I think because out the corner of my eye, you both look red. Look at that. I'm looking at the screen out the corner of my eyes. <laughs> so next time wear both different colors. Both have a thin beard. The <laughs> Go with the guy with the glasses. I have contacts. For the purposes of my, my aging eyes, we have to all wear different colors. Yeah. Um, well, big fan of Toby Mac. Thank you for that question. It's a great thing to discuss. Yeah, Toby Mac was just yeah. in concert in Tucson. <laughs> That's right, so yeah. He probably had a blast. I'm sure he did. He was probably there, if I was to guess. If he's um, in Tucson. Yeah, if he's in Tucson, yeah. Uh, question from Patty. Patty. When a person is a Christ follower but still afraid of death, fearing that they may not make it to heaven, what can I do to help them not be fearful? Or just fearing death itself. Bo and I did a home visit today, talking to a lady that was very sick. Huh? So yeah, fear of death and today. fear of physical death or spiritual death are two yeah. different things. So I guess when it comes to physical death, what's the comfort for the Christian? I'll, I'll yeah. deal with the spiritual one. Yeah, the comfort for the Christian is, um, you know, is that uh, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Um, and so, you know, we know that our physical body's going to die. Um, and, you know, Jesus, we always have to look to the promises of Jesus. Jesus said, those who believe in me will never die. Um, he said, don't let your heart be, you know, troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. You know, he talks about preparing a place for us. Um, the reason why Jesus came and rose from the dead, died on a cross, and ascended is all to deal with our suffering body. It's to deal with our death. And uh, so what's happening, you know, you brought up a good passage today when we were at, at the home visit, Dave, and that is, you know, uh, you know, don't consider it, you know, weird the fiery trial that you go through yeah right like something strange like something has happened strange to has you. happened that's right it's this is something this is the way of all human beings yeah. that our bodies will give out this is the consequence this is a, in a biblical world view what we should see is that everything dies yeah and that this is the consequence of sin the wages of sin is death and so you want to talk a little bit about the spiritual idea yeah, when it comes to our assurance of salvation, not making it to heaven, people first need to understand what heaven is. It's with Jesus. And that's a system that God, by the way, was in favor of. The fact that the Son was not only on this world, but sent to this world implies an intention that when God came to this world and offered himself as a ransom for us, it wasn't as if, you know, the 
father and son at a squabble about our ultimate fate. The father wanted to judge us, the son wanted to save us, the son did it, so I guess the father has to live with us now. Mm. No, it, the father's intent was to send the son. The son's desire was to glorify the father through his death and resurrection. The spirit's intention was to glorify the son and father by showing us this incredible display of God's heart towards you. And you mentioned this a lot in our purity group sometimes when we're dealing with the, the level of depravity that we can oftentimes get to. God knew what he was getting into when he saved us. And if that's our working assumption, that it was God's idea to save you, then it's really, really difficult to go with the working assumption that God is going to kind of not be in my table on this, that it's up to me and I'm doubting me, therefore I can pretty much be certain of my destination. The idea of God coming to this world and seeing personally to our salvation is the greatest comfort that we can receive because if we've taken even the smallest of steps in accepting that kind of gift, we need to understand that it's an exchange of one to infinity, that any reception of this is all that God needs for us to have an eternally significant change in our lives going forward. And obviously there's a lot of places I can go to, Ephesians 2.10 and uh, uh, John chapter, or excuse me, uh, Romans chapter uh, 5 verses 5 through, uh, through 6 through 8, but my favorite when it comes to keeping this simple is John chapter 6 and verse 29 where they asked him, how will we work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Mm -hmm. So if you have that going for you, that's what heaven is, is you're with yeah. Jesus. Right. And if that's your preference, understand it was his preference too. Fear of death, it's not natural to us. We should fear it, but we don't have to understand that the uh, outcome is unknown. If we're relishing in death, then I think... Uh, we need to come face to face with it a little bit more so we understand just how serious it was. Jesus wasn't pleased in seeing what death had done to his creation. But if we fear hell, if we fear separation from God forever, the best thing to do is fall back on what gets us there to begin with. Yeah, and that's his who grace. Jesus is. Yeah, yeah. What, what he's done for us. Yeah. Um, definitely pick, you know, read 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through, uh, you know, 8 to your friend. Mm. I think that's a really important passage. Mm. Because uh, it really lets us know that God is preparing us for this. Uh, God's not absent from our suffering. Uh, Jesus, um, it says he's our faithful high priest, and he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Yeah. And so you might want to look at uh, Hebrews, the early part of the book of Hebrews, mm. where it talks about Jesus being our wonderful high priest. Yeah. And you might want to read Second Corinthians 5 to your friend and, and just assure that friend that, you know, this is why Jesus has come, Yeah. you know, right. is to, you know, as we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we will fear no evil. He is our shepherd. That's right. That's right. Very good. Well, Patty, thank you for that. Uh, we've only got just a couple of minutes left, but maybe we could jump on this question real quick. Question from Dwayne. Um, when do we challenge a brother on their sin? This is a great question. Obviously, you know, if we start to sniff around for sin, we can find things to challenge all the time yeah um, but we are called to challenge each other on a sin or, or address it when do we do that when don't we do that yeah and, um, and, this and is again it. we've got a couple of minutes so. yep 
Okay, I'll just be real quick. Is James, the very last verse in the book of James says this, um, let him who knows that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Mm. So when do, you, when do you do it? Whenever you can, whenever the opportunity is there. Yeah. You know, uh, there, is no, there is no wait for another day. Um, the best thing to do when you know a brother is in a sinful lifestyle is just tell, talk to the brother. Yeah. You know, do it as, as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, in a loving heart, just in a caring way, and just sit them down and say, hey, I love you as a brother in Christ. And, and uh, first, uh, our Galatians, go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, mm-hmm. and it says, He who is spiritual, restore one uh, with the spirit of gentleness. Right. And so come gently and sit down with them. But yeah, you shouldn't wait, you know, yeah. if you know something, you know, just talk talk to them. Yeah, yeah. I can see that, you know, in this question, like you say, have you read Spirit of Gentleness, checking your heart on those things? You know, if it's coming from a heart of like, well, Bo challenged me on this thing last month, so I'm gonna find something to, <laughs> to you know, you were late to work, that's, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, if your heart is like that, I can see, and maybe that's kind of part of the question. Yeah, and, and, and with that, I would say this, read 1 Timothy chapter one and read verse five. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, good right. conscience, and sincere faith. Yeah. So Timothy has to confront people that are in sin. Paul tells him to do it, yeah. but he tells him to do it in love. In love. Yeah. So make sure your your heart is good conscience, sincere faith, and a pure heart. Yeah, great. Anything to add to that, Sean? No. No. Well, we're out of time for today. Bo, thank you so much for being here, Sean. Yeah. You as well. We appreciate your time. Uh, great questions. Thank you all for them. Uh, let's see. It's the weekend now, so we'll be back on Monday, same time, same place. Uh, if you're looking for somewhere to fellowship in the Tucson, Arizona area, Calvary Christian Fellowship, right by uh, Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. Uh, But if not, have a wonderful weekend and we will see you back here on Monday. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.